You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So I'd like to go to Romans chapter 12. And, you know, the last few weeks, it's good to be back in the saddle again. And uh, so the last few weeks, I've, uh, you know, I've really had it on my heart at the beginning of this year to make room for some other people to share just as the Lord has put in my heart and, and had me ask people to release things in them. And uh, so the last few weeks, we've had uh, Liz and Katie and Lee all ministered on being a living sacrifice. And uh, this is one of my most favorite things to talk about, uh, and if I had... Uh, my preference, I would just talk on it every time that I that I minister. Uh, but sometimes uh, people like to hear things that are more exciting. You know, you can have a you can have a healing meeting and announce miracles and healings, and people will show up by the droves. But if you had a living sacrifice meeting, I'm not too sure. I'm not sure that too many people would show up for that. But if if you were going to ask me, uh, what's the most important thing that that I could know if you were asking me that, I would probably give you a twofold answer. One would be the love of God. I don't think that there's anything greater that we could know than God's love for us. But what goes hand in hand is that you have to get to a point to where you come to the end of yourself. And that's really what being a living sacrifice is. And so let me say this before I forget to say it because I think it's a really important way to describe what it means to be a living sacrifice, and that is that it is a one-time decision, but it's a continual act. And so it's a, it's a choice you make every day of your life, and I, I think that uh, you know, lots of people have come to the Lord and they've said, God, I can't do this. I have to have you. And, but then what happens is that the next hour or the next day or the next week or the next month it kind of seems like the, the focus and the attention and, and where that person is at uh, no longer becomes about the Lord, but they just get wrapped up in the things of life. Can anybody, can anybody relate to that? And so that's the difference between uh, making yourself available to begin with, but then taking back that availability and making it uh, about uh, you know, other things. And so being a living sacrifice is really about making ourselves available. It's not so much how we live, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. This would be a great thing. It's not so much how we live, but it's where we live. So being a sacrifice is about being on the altar. It's about living on the altar. And it's kind of an oxymoron because the idea of a sacrifice is that it's living when it comes to the altar, but it gets kilt when it gets on the altar. I think I heard a Southern guy say one time. And so when it gets put on the altar... Uh, then it dies, but yet the instructions from the Lord is that we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. So I went through this, all this study trying to find out what does that really, really meaning to be a living sacrifice? Because a sacrifice is only alive until it's dead. So Lord, what are you saying? And I went through the studies and I read commentaries and I realized all it meant was that you're supposed to live every day sacrificially to the Lord. So it's not a complicated thing. It's just understanding that when you come to the Lord, your life no longer belongs to you. And here's the deal is that this is not a heaven or a hell issue. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is a 
uh, while you're on this earth living in heaven or hell issue, living heavenish or living hellish. And so when you look at the ministry of Jesus, one of the main themes that he had running through his ministry was the idea about dying to self. And I think that that's just a, a horrible sounding thing. And you know why it sounds horrible? It's because your, your flesh, our flesh just doesn't like it. And the truth is, is that when we, when we think about being a sacrifice or, you know, just living our life before the Lord, I think the connotation that it carries is that we're going to, we're going to have to give some things up. And I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't true. But also what's true about that idea is that when you give up even your best, you're exchanging what you can do for what God can do. And the truth is, is that our best could never even, it's not even on the same chart to compare to what God has for us. And so coming to this place of really, really finding uh, the meaning of life, purpose in life, uh, the essence of life, and where we step into God's kind of life is when we just totally come to the end of ourselves. And so this isn't just something that we make a one-time decision, but we do make that decision, but then we continually live that way. It's easy to become a sacrifice. It's difficult to remain one. So that's where the rubber meets the road of making a daily decision, a daily choice that you're going to keep yourself on the altar. Now, I told you to turn to Romans 12, and we are going to go there. But I also want to go, I want to go to Luke chapter 9, uh, 23 and 24. I'd like to pull this up on the screen here so we can all see this. And then we're going to come back to Romans 12. At some point, we're going to get there. And it says, then he said, speaking of Jesus, then he said to them, said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross once a week and follow me. All right, it says to take up your cross daily. And I've mentioned this before, but the idea of the cross to us, and of course, we've got it, you know, dead centered right there. And I love the picture of the cross. I mean, the cross is amazing. It speaks of, um, you know, all of what Jesus did for us and the fact that he died and he, and he paid the price. But the cross back in, in their day, to us, it's become a um, more than just what Jesus did to us. It's almost become a religious symbol. And there's some people that idolize crosses more than they do what Christ did on the cross, but I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, back then, if somebody said, take up your cross, it, they, it would have been equivalent to, uh, you know, it was a form of, of punishment by the Romans, and everybody knew about this back in that day, and it was uh, a punishment, and it was, it was death by that type of punishment. And so it would have been equivalent if Jesus was here in our day that he would say, take up your lethal injection and follow me. Take up the electric chair and follow me. And I mean, that really is the equivalent. So I look at this and I look at the cross and I say it basically was a death stick. I mean, it was, it was the Lord was saying, take up the thing that, is, that represents total, utter death. And not just death, but it's a really, really painful death. I don't know if you've ever seen or read anything about what it looked like for someone to die on the cross back then, because Jesus wasn't the only one that died on the cross. There were lots of people uh, that were, were put to death on the cross. And when they had, hand, they had nails on their hands and feet, you know, if you go like this, it made it really hard for them to breathe, and they would essentially suffocate. And so in order to be able to breathe, they would have to pull up, and it would put all of the pain on the hands and on the feet in order to just catch a breath. And it was this back and forth motion between the pains 
the pain from the nails going in their hands and feet and just trying to catch a breath. So it wasn't just the idea of dying. It was that it was a bit excruciating. And can I be the first to tell you that when you climb on the altar as a living sacrifice, sometimes it's a bit excruciating. And I've had plenty of times with Liz to where I was um, railing and, and just foaming at the mouth. Not really, but, you know, just, you know, flesh is flesh. And sometimes the Lord will say, you know, you need to do this, or you need to stop doing this, or you need to think different, or I want you to go this direction, and you just don't want to do it. You don't want to change. You don't want to give up things that you think are so important. And really, the devil has deceived people in thinking that if they lose what it is that they have, that they're going to live at a lower level. But it's this whole deal, and it's, and it's this oxymoron that takes place in the kingdom of if you live to die then you'll really find your life. And this is a true statement that we live in the kingdom of God. We live to die. The purpose of our life in Christ is to die. And when we die, we live. We live to die and we die to live. Thank you for those six amens. Praise the Lord. All right, let's pull this verse back up here. Y'all with me? Amen. Let's pull that verse back up here. So let me read this again. It says, then he said to them, all. Notice he said to all, and this applies to everybody. If anyone desires to come after me, if anyone, if you, des- if you desire it. So what he's saying is that if you are desiring to come after me, and basically what he's saying is I'm getting ready to give you the key to life, and I'm getting ready to give you the key to really, truly following me. Because you could be in a crowd of you could have a mixture of believers and non-believers somewhere, and you could say, who wants to follow the Lord? And you'd probably have 90 to 95% of the people raise their hand. But then if you told them, you know what, you got to come to the end of yourself, who wants to do that? And if you had an honest response, you'd probably have about 2% of the people that would raise their hand. And it's just because people are afraid of of what they're going to lose. So he says, uh, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is a recipe for success in this life. This is a recipe for purpose in this life. It's impossible to find the purpose, the will of God, and fulfill it for your life without first becoming a living sacrifice. It is a prerequisite for finding God's will for your life. Let me say that again. It is a prerequisite for finding God's will for your life. Katie, When Katie uh, ministered, she talked about uh, the gifts that God has given us and representing those gifts. And if you look in Romans chapter 12, which you can flip back to Romans chapter 12, we're going to go there. If you look in Romans chapter 12, it lists uh, seven gifts that are, that are listed there. And the way that I've come to understand those gifts is that those are, those are basically like, uh, I call them motivational gifts, but they're almost natural gifts. People have natural bents towards things. And if you go and look, there's a gift of giving, there's a gift of uh, uh, mercy and just all the ones that are there. And you'll find people that just kind of naturally have that, that bent. And there is a danger, listen to me now, there is a danger when somebody discovers their ability given by God without that ability being submitted to God. Because if we find our ability, we find giftings outside of the Lord, we'll miss our true purpose in life which isn't to take those things and build our own kingdom. It's to take those things and build God's kingdom. 
For he really truly has called us to be submitted to him. And when we take and we submit our entire life to him, including everything he's given us, every gift, every everything, and we submit it back unto him, that's where we find real fulfillment in life. Praise God. Amen. So let me show you this a little bit more in Romans chapter 12. In verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, and, and we know this verse We've quoted it, and it's been heard a lot the last few weeks, but let's read it. I beseech you. Now, that word beseech is a very strong and pouring. It would be like if I got down on my, my knees right here and I said, guys, I'm begging you to listen to me because what I'm getting ready to tell you is uh, essential for your life. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So the end result of this is that when you present yourself a living sacrifice, the end result, if you follow the train here, is that you'll prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I could have a show of hands right now. We don't need to, but who wants to prove out God's perfect will in their life? And everybody would raise their hand and say, yes, absolutely. I want to have God's will for my life because I know it's better. And, and that's awesome. And so then, then what does that look like? Well, this word, this word prove here, it's not, about, it's not about necessarily knowing it. It's not about uh, praying to get it or pray that God will give you something. It's about positioning yourself in the right place so that God can take your life and take his will and mesh them together and you automatically prove out what his will is. And to, to further it, just so the, the Lord could kind of hook us in a little bit, I really believe, now you might have a different interpretation than this and that's fine, but I really believe when it talks about a good, acceptable, and perfect will, this is, this is my opinion, okay? I've heard different opinions on this. I believe it's saying that there are stages of release of the fullness of God's will. And I believe that whenever you first come into the Lord, you find a, a measure of God's will. You could call it uh, uh, the, the good part of God's will, because there's the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. But as you continue journeying with the Lord, it's almost like the continued journey and the continued surrender unlocks other levels of the will of God that he has for your life. And I can, the reason I believe that is just from practical uh, application and just practical relationship with the Lord, because I'm walking in things now that if the Lord had told me when I just was first born again or first really started seeking the Lord, if he had told me some of the stuff that I'm, I would be doing now, I would have said, get behind me, Satan. There ain't no way I'm going to be doing that kind of, such as public speaking, writing books, stuff like that. I, was, I know I've said this before. I was like the worst student. I was the worst English student. If, if you see my handwriting now, you can't hardly read it. I just tell people, I'm like, I have this amazing gift. It's not listed in the Bible, but it's an amazing gift from God called writing in tongues. You know, just, I mean, you, you can't even, so who would have ever thought I would have done stuff like that? But the deal is, is that when you surrender yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice, you prove out what God's will is in your life. And the more you surrender, the more of it you prove, you prove it. And it's just kind of like what the Apostle John said. He said, there needs to be more of him and less of me. 
more of him and less of me. And I think you could say it the other way too, to where you say less of me. And when you, when you, when you pull yourself out of the way, you make room for more of God in your life. And every time you go on the altar, what you're saying, and the goal isn't that you get on the altar and that you come off the altar and that you go on and that you come off. The idea is that you go on the altar and you just stay there for the rest of your days. And you just allow the Lord to just do anything that he wants to do in your life. And when you do that, what happens is that every day the Lord will continue to chip away at stuff in your life so that he can make room for the stuff that he has for your life. You know, I know that that could sound uh, challenging in the, the reality of being a living sacrifice. It really is a daily challenge, but the reward is unbelievable. Because as we read about in, in Luke chapter uh, 9, it says that when you lose your life, then you will find it. But it says you have to take up your cross daily. It's a daily thing. It's a daily decision that, and I believe this is why when you get up in the morning, and I certainly am not perfect at doing this, but I, I, I'm better at it than I was last week, praise God, and better at it than I was last year. But every day when you wake up, that's when you take that day, you take your heart, you take your mind, you take your family, you take your finances, you take everything about you, and you say, Lord, I am presenting this to you. It belongs to you. And that doesn't mean that, that what you did the day before wasn't effectual, but what you're saying to the Lord is that not only did I give myself to you a while back, but I'm also continuing, to keep my, continually keeping myself on the altar so that you can do the work in me that you really want to do. Praise God. Somebody give me a big amen. amen. Hallelujah. So we die to live and we live to die. This is the purpose uh, I'll say more than the purpose, it's the pathway to purpose in our life with the Lord. And so, again, people really fear what they're going to lose when they do this. But that is a trick of the enemy. I've had people, I've ministered to people many, many times, many times. And they've said, well, I know I need to follow the Lord and I want to follow the Lord, but I just don't want to give up and they'll, it'll, it's X, Y, Z, whatever they've got that they don't want to give up. And really what I, I wish I could do at that point is reach inside of that person and grab the spiritual blinders in their heart and pull them off so they could see what nonsense they're saying. Because you could have the greatest stuff in this life, but if it's apart from God, it's worth nothing. As a matter of fact, if you go on and read in Luke chapter 9, we were just said, it says that, that uh, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? I mean, if we have anything apart from Jesus, we don't have anything. I love the blessings and the benefits and the favor and the different things that we walk in in this life. But to be honest with you, all of the houses and all of the cars and all, even to a certain extent, some of the, the relationships we have, a lot of the stuff is going to be gone at the end of this life. And when we get to the end of this life, the only thing that's going to matter is did we build our life right? Did we build it on a right foundation? Did we build it from a place of God having his way in our life? Amen. Uh, I want to do this. I want to give you, and I, and I didn't want to do this, but the Lord just keeps pressing me, and so I know it's him and not just me. I want to give you some, and if you're taking notes, you can write, you can write fast. Uh, I'm going to give you some symptoms, and this is by no means, uh, it's just a fraction of a list, but I'm going to give you, these are some main things. These are some symptoms uh, 
of not being a living sacrifice. And I don't like to, I try not to speak too, too negatively, but sometimes if you can see uh, what something looks like or what it doesn't look like, it can help you identify uh, where you're at. So here's, here's a list. I'm going to list some things pretty quickly here and, and try not to preach or teach on them too long. So here's a list of things. These are like symptoms or signs of not being a living sacrifice. Uh, number one is materialism. And there's a difference between being blessed and being materialistic. Come on. The Lord can bless you with stuff. And the difference is, does that stuff have you or do you have that stuff? If you have the stuff, it's just blessing. If the stuff owns you, it owns your time, owns your everything about you, uh, owns your mind, that's materialism. So somebody who's caught up in materialism, uh, yeah, I won't go there. We have live streams, so praise the Lord. I never give names, but sometimes I'll give situations, and I just think I don't know who's listening. But anyways, praise the Lord. Materialism can be a sign of that. Um, Here's another one. And again, these are signs or symptoms of not being a living sacrifice is a desire for recognition. That's a big one now when you look at the whole uh, craze of social media. There's a lot of people on social media that are making posts and doing things. Some of it, a lot of it is in the name of God. And I thank God for, you know, the, the word and different things going forward. But the motive behind it oftentimes is just to get recognition. And it might only be you and the Lord that would know that. But that could be a sign of a, or a symptom of being, not being a living sacrifice. Here's another one is somebody who is easily offended. If you're one who is easily offended, how is it? I mean, the deal is, is that uh, uh, offense is, it has the feeling of like being kicked or spit on or hurt or stabbed or something like that, right? It's, it's some type of, of pain. Well, if something is dead, how can it feel any pain? You know, you could have, and I don't want to. I don't want to sound disrespectful or anything, but just for the sake of analogy, you could have a, you could have a dead person here, and I would never do this, but you know, you could you could kick a dead man, you could spit on a dead man, you could run him over with the car. I mean, you could you could do anything, and if he's really dead, he's not going to feel anything. So if whenever you get poked or prodded because of something that somebody said or what they didn't say or what they did or what they didn't do or your little peelings were hurt and this, that, and the other, and it's just like everything offends you, it's really a sign that you're not really a living sacrifice because if you're a sacrifice and you're on the altar, you're constantly dying, which means you can't feel things when people do it to you. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have feelings and that stuff doesn't hit you, but if you're just so easily offended... It really is a sign that you need to get back on the altar and let God deal with that. Um, and also in conjunction with being easily offended, if you have sustained offense, somebody has, some, some people have offense that comes to them and they stay in that offense or they allow that offense to stay in them. And when I'm talking about offense, I'm talking about bitterness and anger and hurt and, you know, all of the things that are wrapped up in to somebody hurt you and you continue holding on to that. Well, if, if we are bought with the price, how many of y'all know that we're bought with the price? And how do you know that when, you're, when you've been bought that you don't belong to you? And you don't belong to you. You know who you belong to? You belong to the Lord. And if you belong to the Lord, how is it possible for you to remain in, in offense it's because you and your mind think that you still own yourself. But the truth is, is when you came into Christ, you said, Lord, I'm no longer Lord over my life. 
in a sense, you could say, I am your servant. I will do anything that you want me to do. And by, by the way, it's amazing to serve the Lord. You know, when we have this, this very uh, carnal, worldly view of, of really bad slavery and that kind of thing, that's not what it's like to be a servant of the Lord. It's kind of like, it's kinda like you, you go in, it really looks a whole lot more like just being a blessed child. And really the idea of servanthood and what, what we're called to is because we are, we are so blessed, we make the decision to turn around and serve him because we are so blessed. And the ones who go from just being a child to learning to be a servant, those are the ones that find a way to bless other people. And we're called to do that. All right, praise the Lord. Um, here's a few other things. Let me mention. These are signs or symptoms of being not, excuse me, not being a living sacrifice. If you're swayed by circumstances, if you're a person that's just swayed by all the circumstances of of life or by people. Another thing is an unwillingness to obey God, either his word or something the Holy Spirit has told you. Anybody ever been there before to where you read something in the word or you just knew that the Lord was telling you something and you, you maybe you were one that argues with God. Listen, it's really stupid to argue with God. You know, Jacob, it says that Jacob wrestled with God and you know what? He, did he prevail? Is that what it says? He prevailed, but he ended up with a broken hip, and so or a messed up hip or something. Anyways, it's not, I don't remember the whole story. It's not smart to argue with God, and it's not smart to obey God. Do you know why God gives us um, things for us to follow? It's not so that we can perform, and he'll go, finally, I'm going to bless you. It's that whenever you obey God, you position yourself underneath of the blessing. Obedience brings you in to more and more blessing and favor. You're already in a right position with God because of Christ Jesus. You can't be any more right than you are right now because of what Jesus has done. But you can experience less of that rightness in your life if you don't keep yourself positioned in the right place before him. That's what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. Here's a couple other things I'll mention really quickly, symptoms or signs of not being a living sacrifice. If you're stuck in a habitual sin pattern, and you keep finding yourself there, you want to figure out how to get over sin, how to conquer sin, how to conquer something that you feel like has been conquering you, go to the point to where you bring that thing before the Lord, you bring your life to the Lord, and you watch how God will bring healing and set you free. If you find somebody that is in self-righteousness, somebody that is uh, just really thinks that their stuff is the greatest stuff, that's somebody who's really not a living sacrifice. You know why? Because when you, when you really come to the place to where you place yourself on the altar, you'll have a couple of things that will happen simultaneously. One is that you will find out just how good and how loving God really is. And at the same time, you will find that within your natural self, just how rotten your flesh is. In self-righteousness, Isaiah talks about this. It says that your righteousness uh, is as a filthy rag, and it means that it's a stench in the nostrils of God. So the way that we are supposed to come to the Lord is we're supposed to come to him and, and recognize that we have nothing to offer. But then as we are on the altar before him, we also realize at the same time that through Christ, we have everything that this life will ever need. That's the, that's the right balance to be able to live in. Let me take you to a verse that I think will really be good. Y'all have a few more minutes in you? Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is a really, really another way to word what it means to be a, a living sacrifice. By the way, when it talks about 
it says that this is your reasonable service. You remember that back in Romans 12, 1, it says that this is your reasonable service. Well, when you go and look that up a little bit more, what it means is that just by way of reasoning, this is a good thing to do. This is a right thing to do, to be a living sacrifice. And how? Then I'm going to give you two quick reasons why it's reasonable to be a living sacrifice. Number one is that Jesus is worthy. Thank you. Number one, Jesus is worthy. At the very least, we have to offer him our life. It's, it's not really enough, but it's what we have to offer. He's worthy. And that was an example that he set because Jesus gave his life. And it's interesting because we're called Christians. Oh, Jesus. You know what Christians mean? The word Christian means? It, it, would, it was actually used, I think, only a few times in the Bible. It's kind of something we've adopted in our, our culture um, and it's fine, it's a fine word, but it was used in a derogatory sense like those Christians, those little Christs are acting just like that Christ guy. And so it was kind of a derogatory thing, but now we've adopted it and we say, well, we, we are Christians. And then as soon as the pastor says something that we don't like, we're like, well, I just can't believe he said that. Are you really like Christ? Because last time I checked, Jesus didn't complain about stupid stuff. Sorry, kids are in the room. Silly stuff. Jesus didn't walk around with his feelings on his sleeves. Jesus didn't get mad at people. Jesus knew how to love people and tell them the truth at the same time. I find a lot of Christians that are not, they have no backbone. They won't tell anybody the truth for fear that they'll reject them. I didn't see Jesus doing that. I also find that, you know, some people will rub you just the wrong way, and you just, I mean, you just chop their, their head off and just a moment's notice, notice. I didn't see Jesus doing that. Well, the Pharisees, but they were, they were a different story. They were a different breed. But just your, your common person that's just walking through life. Amen. And so I see a lot of these things that Christ, Christians do, and I think, you know, I mean, that Christ did. And then I look at us, and I think, I don't really know if we're exemplifying that very well. I don't try to be hard on anybody. I'm just saying that the answer is, is that we have to go back to this place of totally surrendering ourselves over to the Lord. It really is the key. Look at this here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in verse 8. Also, a sign or a symptom of somebody who's not being a living sacrifice is that they only want the preacher to preach short messages. So uh, just keep that in mind. All right, here we go. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 8, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about. Now listen to this. Listen to these words. Always. Everybody say always. always. Always caring about in the body of the dying. In the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now, I think if we could pull that verse up there, do we have that verse? Can we pull that up quickly? Huh? Did I give the wrong reference? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in verse, now we're in verse 10. Now, the way that my Bible reads, let me know if you get it up there. Uh, the way that my Bible reads is that always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, but I believe the way it should be uh, written, because remember, uh, uh, man put the commas and things in there. Oh, here we go. I, this is where I, I believe there should be a comma. Always caring about in the, in the body, comma. So it's one complete thought. Always caring about in the body, comma, the dying of the Lord Jesus. 
And here's this, this, I think a paradox could also be there, but an oxymoron, I guess. That the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. I mean, it's this whole thing about making a choice that I'm going to die to all my wants, my desires, my thoughts, my ideas. You know, one of the hardest things that I've come in contact with, with people, uh, when I find people in the world that, I mean, I mean, they are in the world. They are doing all of the worldly stuff, and they get born again. They're easy. They don't know anything. In fact, I've heard people give testimonies in their cuss in their testimonies. I'm like, yeah, it is raw. I love that. They don't know any better. I'm not encouraging cussing. I'm just saying it, it reveals just, just a realness. But one of the most difficult things that I have found are people that have been in church their whole life, and you try to tell them something. You can't possibly get them to believe anything different than what they've been told their entire life. And there's just no possible way that something that they believed could possibly have been wrong. Because after all, they've believed it their whole life. Andrew Walmack says, most people, most Christians, don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. <laughs> it's true. But if you're a, if you're a living sacrifice... You don't have any pride there keeping you from going, you know what? I was wrong there. I've been believing something that's wrong my whole life. I need to get a hold of the truth. See, God won't, God won't, it's not that God, I mean, if you put your faith in Jesus, man, you're going to heaven. Getting to heaven is, it really is easy. God made the way. But it's getting to a place to where we'll stop holding on to all the things that haven't even been benefiting us anyways. And letting them go and saying, Father, I'm taking on the life that you have for me. It's a continual idea of dying so that you can find his life. So it'll be manifest. Let's pull that verse back up there and we're going to the next one. Manifest in your body. Verse 11, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. What's this talking about? Is it talking about physical death? Because I think that some people could say, well, this is talking about, about physical death. And I think that there's an idea that it could be like we're willing to die because these people were facing serious persecution, serious persecution. Their families were being killed and torn apart and all kinds of stuff. So it could be there. But notice the language. It says, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. What's he talking about? He's talking about a death of self. He's talking about coming to the end of yourself, to where self is no longer in charge, but because you're on the, the, the altar, you're a sacrifice, Jesus is in charge of your life. That the life, and here's the end result, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So if you're, ha if you're having a flesh problem, who's having a flesh problem? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but come on, actually, let's, let's all raise both of our hands. Who has any flesh problems that they've had to overcome in their life? That's a lot of hands. Praise God. You're in good company. Look around. Hold your hands up and look around. You're in good company. All right? Now, keep your hands up for one second, unless you didn't wear any deodorant. All right? But I saw those two hands. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> listen. Okay. I'm coming back to this. Put your hands up for a second. We got to learn to laugh more. We really do. We, uh, last week in Bonterre, uh, we... Uh, Lee ministered. It was so good. And then we, he was praying for some people. And before I knew it, we kept going on and we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. It was awesome. Okay. Put your hands back up without letting, no laughing. Uh, 
where was I going with this? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know. Everybody has got some flesh problem. We got double flesh problem. And we've been born again, and our spirit, if you've been born again, your spirit being's changed, but you still got the outward stuff to deal with. I want you to turn to the person on your one side to you, one or the other. If you all say, if you say to the right, then everybody looks to the right, all right? Pick somebody on either side of you, and I want you to say this to them. Go ahead and pick that person and look at them. All right? I want you to say, jump on the altar, man. <laughs> Turn to the person on the other side of you. And say, jump on the altar, man. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, we're in good company. You want to know how to deal with the flesh? You get on the altar. This is why it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why does it say body? Because a lot of times it's dealing with the, the issue of in the realm of the soul. You know, sin is an emotional decision. So isn't that sin in the realm of the soul, the, you know, the mind, will, emotions, and conscience? The deal is, is that if you take your body, it's talking about you're taking your outward man and you're taking everything that you have and you're saying, Lord, it all belongs to you. I want you to do whatever you want to with it. Come on, somebody. That's a powerful message. Hallelujah. Let me give you one final verse and this is in, and I have to find it really quickly because it just came to me, and I really feel impressed to go there. I believe it's in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, I believe, but don't quote me on it. Here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to go to uh, read verses 9. Actually, we're going to go to verse 9, yes, and we're going to read down through verse 15. All right, here we go. So it says, this is 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how. Everybody say how. How he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's, work, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. Where do you find fire at? Besides in the fireplace, you find it in the Bible, you find it on the altar. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built, built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So the picture of this is at whatever point, whatever time this works out, that the person's life and the things that they did, because everybody does stuff. How many of y'all agree that everybody does stuff? Everybody does things. Everybody works a job. Everybody has family. Everybody communicates. Everybody does all that stuff. And so the deal is, is it's the motivation and it's the undergirding thing that's taking place that really is the substance of what's being tested. And so if you're building with gold, silver, and precious stones, or if it's wood, hay, and straw, when your life's work, and trust me, your life's work, this is a reality check right here. Your life's work and my life's work are going to be placed on the altar. 
Now, the, the good thing is, is that no, no matter how uh, terrible or good your life's work is, you're, you're saved because you belong to him. But there are rewards and things in heaven. I heard it said one time that not everybody's going to have a front row seat in heaven. And it's not about having a platform. My gosh, I used to look at preachers and go, oh, they're going to have such great rewards. You know who's going to have just as much rewards is the person that faithfully cleaned the toilets. The person that faithfully, without anybody knowing, just ministered to the person in the checkout line and all of, all of that kind of stuff, all right? So it's not about what you're doing, but it's about how you are doing it. And what happens is that whenever your work is placed on the altar, and I think this is true at the end of our life, but it's also true through our life if we will stay on the altar, that what is not of God, wood, hay, and straw, is burnt up. But listen, what happens to gold when you put it in the fire is it becomes what? Refined. So if you want to figure out, like, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Get on the altar, stay on the altar, let the fire of God burn in you and on you, and you'll find out what sort of work you're dealing with and dealing in. Because I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, I did that stuff and it wasn't for the right motivation. I did that stuff and it wasn't for... You know, the purposes of God. It was for the purposes of Kent. It was for the purposes of building my kingdom. Man, I want to be about God's business. I want to be about building His kingdom and be about His purposes. Amen? If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit Overcomers Church International dot com.